order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Vicky Foxcroft. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I'm sure members across the House will wish to join me in offering our heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of Professor Stephen Hawking, who died earlier today. Professor Hawking's exceptional contributions to science and our knowledge of the universe speak for themselves. As his children have said, his courage and persistence with his brilliance and humour inspired people across the world. Mr Speaker, members will also have seen reports of a number of suspicious packages targeting Muslim members. I'm sure the whole House will join me in condemning this unacceptable and abhorrent behaviour, which has no place in our society. I can tell the House that an investigation is underway and steps are being taken to bring the perpetrators to justice. Mr Speaker, I will be making a statement following PMQs updating the House on the Salisbury incident. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Vicky Foxcroft. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I want to thank the Prime Minister for agreeing to meet with me to discuss the work of the Cross-Party Youth Violence Commission. Youth violence is complex and needs long-term solutions. But some things can be done right now, such as legislating to ensure that all knives and sharp instruments in shops are locked away or stored behind counters, ensuring no one can steal them and use them. Will she do this? The the Honourable Lady has raised a very important issue, and as she says, this is a complex problem and we need to ensure we have long-term solutions for it. My right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, will shortly be publishing a new serious violence strategy which will put an emphasis on interventions early with young young people. Um, But it's important we have tough legislation on knives, but we also do need to... um, work in partnership with retailers. We have recently consulted on new measures, including restrictions on knives sold online. And in March 2016, we reached, when I was Home Secretary, we reached a voluntary agreement with major retailers about how knives were displayed and the training, training given to sales staff to support action to tackle knife crime. But the Honourable Lady is right to raise this as a, an area of concern. Alex Burghardt. Thanks, Mr Speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the subject of Northern Ireland. Does the Prime Minister stand by the commitments made in the joint report of December and will she confirm that we will accept nothing that will undermine the integrity of the United Kingdom? Can I I confirm to my honourable friend that we stand by all the commitments we made in December? We have been clear that our preferred option is to deliver these through our new partnership with the EU with specific solutions to address the unique circumstances in Northern Ireland if needed. And the work we're undertaking with the Commission will include that on the final so-called black backstrop, which will form part of the withdrawal agreement. That cannot be the text that the Commission has proposed. As I've said, that is unacceptable. But we stand ready to work with the Commission and Irish governments to ensure that all of the commitments on Northern Ireland made in the joint report are included in the withdrawal agreement. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I, along with the Prime Minister, absolutely condemn the vile messages and threatening packages that have been sent to Muslim members of this House, and also the rise in Islamophobia and the abusive messages that are being sent to Muslim families all over this country. It has to be utterly condemned by all of us, as we condemn anybody that attempts to divide our country by racism or by extremism in any form. I think we just have to stand united with any community that's under threat at any time. 
Mr Speaker, I am sure the whole House will join me in supporting what the Prime Minister just said about Stephen Hawking, one of the most acclaimed scientists of his generation, helped us to understand about the world and the universe, was also concerned about peace and the survival of the world, but is also a passionate campaigner for the National Health Service. And he said, I have received excellent medical attention in Britain. I believe in universal health care, and I'm not afraid to say so. Mr Speaker, if we believe in universal health care, how can it be possible that someone lives and works in this country, pays their taxes, but is then denied access to the NHS for life-saving cancer treatment? Can the Prime Minister explain? Prime Minister. First of all, uh, join with the right honourable gentleman in saying there is absolutely no place in our society for hate crime or racism, whatever form it takes. We should stand united against such behaviour and such activities. Uh, and can I say to the, the uh, right honourable gentleman that we do ensure, and I'm pleased that we have a good record on the cancer provision that we're making, we now see more people surviving cancer in this country as a result of changes that have been made, uh, developments that have come in the National Health Service than ever before. Uh, of course, we continue to work to ensure that the situation that we're putting, uh, that, that the treatments that we're making available are the best treatments that we can. Um, I'm not aware of the particular case that the right honourable gentleman has raised with uh, not aware of the particular case that the right honourable gentleman has raised with me. But we do want to ensure that all those who are entitled, who are entitled to service with the uh, treatment through the National Health Service, are able to achieve it. There are, of course, questions around particular drugs that are made available to individuals for treatments, which, of course, we continue to look at. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr. Speaker, I would indeed be writing to the Prime Minister about the case I'm concerned about. It's a man. It's a man who's lived in this country for 44 years, worked and paid his taxes, obviously is an older gentleman, and is now being denied cancer treatment. And I suspect he's not alone in this, and I urge her to discuss this with the Home Office and others. Mr Speaker, I received a letter from Hillary this week, a British pensioner, and this goes to the point the Prime Minister just said, and she says... I am now having to pay for my thyroid medication because the CCG needs to save money. I've worked all my life, paid national insurance, and this is not fair. Last March, the Health Secretary said it's absolutely essential that we get back to the 95% target for accident emergency weights. And he said it should happen, and I quote, in the course of the next calendar year. Well, the calendar year is now up. Can the Prime Minister explain why this is no longer possible? Prime Minister. Well, first of all, on the individual case, I look forward to receiving the details from the Right Honourable Gentleman. May, may, I, may I just, though, take this opportunity of reminding him that I think he raised a case about Georgina with me last October and hasn't written to me about that particular case. So. So, 
So, as I say, I look forward to receiving the details of the case that he has just set out. What we have done in relation to, uh, to uh, cancer treatment is ensure there are more diagnostic tests taking place. We see more people being seen by a specialist for suspected uh, cancer and more people starting treatment for cancer. That's why I say that we have seen an improvement in the cancer treatment that is available to people in this country. And in relation to accident and emergency, I'm pleased to say that we do have more doctors uh, working in accident and emergency. We have put more money in, the Chancellor announced this last year, both for winter pressures and to ensure that accident and emergency departments are able to provide the treatment that is right for the patient before them. Because for some people, actually, they don't need to be in an accident uh, admitted to hospital. They need to be seeing a GP. We're working with the NHS to ensure that the treatment that patients receive is the treatment that is right for them. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, my understanding is Georgina's case was resolved before the Prime Minister was needed. Is there anything about it? Following my raising it here. Well, it proves that... Well, if nothing else, Mr Speaker, it proves the power of Parliament. Mr Speaker, key A&E waiting target have not been met since 2015. NHS uh, NHS managers are saying they won't be met till 2019 and February was the worst ever month for accident and emergency performances. NHS Providers Director Saffron Cordery said This is the first time we've had to accept the NHS will not meet its key constitutional standards. If we want to provide quality of care, we need the right long-term financial settlement. The NHS is clearly in crisis, so why wasn't there a penny extra for the NHS in yesterday's statement by the Chancellor? Prime Minister. Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, we didn't wait until yesterday's spring statement to announce more money for the NHS. We announced it in the budget last autumn. As a result of that, the NHS is getting £2.5 billion more in the forthcoming financial year 18-19 and more to fund the nurses' pay settlement when that is resolved. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker. Under Labour, the 18-week target for non-urgent operations was in place. The target has also been abandoned by the Prime Minister. When will that be reinstated? Prime Minister. Well, the Right Honourable Gentleman talks about under Labour uh, things that were being delivered. Perhaps he might look to see what what Labour are doing in Wales in their delivery. The latest annual data shows, when we're looking at 12-hour waits in A&E, that 3.4% of patients waited over 12 hours in Wales compared to 1.3% in England. If he wants to talk about meeting targets, he should talk to the Labour government in Wales. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker. NHS England abandoned its A&E targets until April 2019. It's a bit rich for the Prime Minister to be scaremongering about Wales while she's, while she's abandoned the targets in England. Mr Speaker, a recent... Uh, order, lots of questions to get through and they must be heard. Jeremy Corbyn. A recent NAO report states that NHS funding will fall by 0.3% in 2019. People's lives are at stake. 
Is the Prime Minister really saying A&E doctors are wrong, NHS managers are wrong, Royal Colleges are wrong, health unions are wrong, and actually it's only she that knows best about the NHS? Prime Minister! Can I, can I, can I just point out to the right honourable gentleman, he talks about scaremongering in Wales, and I was pointing out the facts about what is happening in the NHS in Wales. And that's why we do see that's why we do see people in Wales often trying actually to get treatment in England rather than in, uh, rather than in Wales. But can I also say to the right honourable gentleman, we are putting more money into the National Health Service. We are putting more money into the National Health Service. But what you need in order to be able to do that is to ensure that you have a strong economy to provide the money for the National Health Service. What do we know about the Labour's policies? It would cause a run on the pound, crash our economy, bankrupt Britain, and there would be less money for the NHS. Jeremy Corbyn! When people are dying because of overcrowding and long waits in our hospitals, I think the Prime Minister should get a grip on it and ensure the NHS now has the money that it needs to deal with the patient demands. In a recent uh, interview, the Health Secretary said of NHS staff, when they signed up to go into medicine, they knew there would be pressurised moments. What they also expected was a recognition, an annual pay rise without cuts in paid leave, proper funding for the National Health Service. And when there are 100,000 unfilled posts, clearly not enough staff around them to share the burden. We started with Professor Stephen Hawking, and he said just a few months ago, there is, there is overwhelming evidence that NHS funding and the number of doctors and nurses are inadequate and it's getting worse. Does she agree with Professor Hawking? Prime Minister! Once again, once again, I'm very happy to point out some facts to the Right Honourable Gentleman. We have 14,900 more doctors working in the National Health Service. We have, we have almost 13,900 more nurses working on our wards. Why did we put an emphasis on nurses working in our wards? Because of what we saw under the Labour government in mid-Staffordshire. And I just say to the Right Honourable Gentleman this that what we need to do to ensure that we can provide the funding for the NHS, and we are providing record levels of funding for the NHS, is to ensure that we take a balanced approach to our economy. That's an approach to our economy that deals with our debts, keeps taxes low on working families, and puts more money into our public services like hospitals and schools. Labour's approach would increase the debt. Labour's approach would mean less money for our schools and hospitals, and it would mean higher taxes for ordinary working people. Because what we know about the Labour Party is it's always ordinary people who pay the price of Labour. Last week's launch of a consultation on all aspects of domestic violence will be widely welcomed in Gloucester and across the country. So will the Prime Minister, who has done so much on these issues, confirm today that the Government intends to increase spending, bed provision and, where necessary, women's refugees so that those who have survived get the help and safe haven that they deserve. Prime Minister. My honourable friend has raised a very important issue, and this is an an issue which I have not only uh, obviously given considerable attention to, but my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, can 
continues to follow that. Um, it's a very important point. We are entirely committed to developing a sustainable funding model for refugees. I can guarantee that funding for refugees will continue at the same level as today, and because I know how critical this support is to the vulnerable people at a time of crisis. And we will ring fence uh, the funding for short-term supported housing overall, including refugees, for the long term indefinitely. That means no refuge should worry about closing or have any doubts about our commitments to ensure that we provide a sustainable funding model for them. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and the leader of the Labour Party as far as hate crime and Islamophobia and, of course, thoughts are with the family and friends of uh, Dr Stephen Hawking. Mr Speaker, for months... The devolved administrations have been waiting for the UK government to table amendments to Clause 11. On Monday, these long-awaited amendments were published, but without the agreement of the devolved governments. Can the Prime Minister tell the House why these amendments have been forced on the devolved administrations? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, in one sentence he says he was waiting for this amendment. Uh, and the reason that we were taking time was because we were talking with the Scottish Government and the Welsh Government. And then we do publish. He complains that we've published it. He really needs to get his, his uh, story straight. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would encourage the Prime Minister to listen to the question because it was about agreement. And I'm afraid that answer simply wasn't good enough. The Prime Minister famously claimed that the UK was made up of equal partners. What an irony. Now that she's overseeing the devolution, demolition of the devolution settlement. In 1997, the Tories were happy to oppose the re-establishment of the Scottish Parliament. Their clothes haven't changed. Now in 2018, they're happy to systematically destroy the settlement that the Parliament thrives on. I call upon the Prime Minister once again. Stop this attack on devolution and redouble your efforts in working with the devolved administrations and finding agreement. Right honourable gentlemen, this is a government that has actually given more powers to the Scottish Government. This is a government that will be giving more powers to the Scottish Government. Significant extra powers will be devolved to the Scottish and Welsh Governments as a result of the decisions that we are taking around Brexit. Uh, but we have given more powers, including, of course, the tax-raising powers. It's just a pity that the Scottish Nationalists have chosen to use their tax-raising powers to increase the taxes on people earning £26,000 or more. Jeremy Quinn. Horsham last week held an apprenticeship fair, building on the success which since 2010 has seen a 70% reduction in youth unemployment. Nationally, we see increasing exports, increasing productivity, increasing real wages. Will my right honourable friend again remind the House that it is that sustained economic performance that underpins our investment in our valued public services? Prime Minister. Can I commend Horsham for holding uh, an apprenticeship fair? I think it's very important that we give pe young people the opportunity for those apprenticeships. But my honourable friend is absolutely right. We can only fund those public services if we have the strength in our economy providing the income for us to be able to do that. And in the last few weeks, we've seen manufacturing output, which has now grown for nine consecutive months. That's the first time since records began in 1968. 
We have seen the best two quarters of productivity growth since the financial crisis and the lowest year-to-date net borrowing since 2008, and of course employment near a record high. That is what Conservatives are doing, delivering a strong economy, new jobs, healthier finances, an economy that really is fit for the future. Jack Dreamy. Mr Speaker, last week GKN workers came to Parliament, typically 25 and 30 years service, their mums and dads before them working for a British engineering icon 259 years old, sat opposite with the three fabulously wealthy owners of Melrose, determined to stage a hostile takeover of their company, break it up and sell it off. Can I ask the Prime Minister this? She told Parliament she would act in the national interest. The next 10 days will decide the future. Will she use the powers that she has to intervene to block this hostile takeover in the British national interest? To the uh, honourable gentleman, as he knows, the, the business secretary has been speaking to both of these companies on an impartial basis. Uh, we will always, we will always act in the UK national interest. Actually, it's this government that uh, it's under this government that we've seen the changes introduced to the takeover code to provide greater transparency, to give target firms more time to uh, respond. There are a narrow range of scenarios where ministers can intervene on mergers on public interest grounds, but we will always ensure that we act in the national interest. Andrew. Three thousand one hundred and fifty-seven medical students are going into general practice this year, which is excellent news. But we are still losing too many experienced GPs in their mid-fifties due to the tax penalties on their old pension scheme. Would the government look at a targeted, time-limited exemption on this dedicated group of clinicians who do so much for the health of us all? Prime Minister. I say to uh, my honourable friend, this is an important uh, point. As he will know, experienced senior hospital doctors and GPs who become a member of the National Health Service Pension Scheme benefit from one of the best available defined benefit occupational pension schemes. And we provide generous tax reliefs to allow everyone to build up a pension pot um, worth just over a million pounds tax free. But the, the issue that he is raising is that GPs are not penalised uh, if they work after age 55, but many may have exhausted the general allow- generous allowance for tax relief that is available by, by, that, uh, by that time. But I can say to my honourable friend that the Chancellor of the Exchequer was, of course, listening to the question that he raised. Mr. Virendra Sharma. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The 13th of April this year represents the 99th anniversary of the Jallianwala Bagh in Amritsar, in India, uh, known as Jallianwala Bagh Massacre, in which more than 1,000 peaceful protesters were murdered by soldiers under the command of General Dyer. Will the Prime Minister join me in commemorating the massacre and meet with me and others campaigning for this shameful episode to be remembered across the UK? Prime Minister. The Honourable Gentleman has raised uh, a very specific issue and a very specific point, and I would be happy to look at the question that he's raised with me and respond to him in writing. Uh, Leo Doherty. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In my constituency, Farnborough in the borough of Rushmore is the birthplace of British aviation and now home to a thriving range of aviation, aerospace, and defence businesses, including the Airbus Zephyr. Will my honourable friend, the Prime Minister, join me in extending our best wishes to the Zephyr team as they look forward to making a world record breaking attempt 
for high-altitude unmanned aviation. Yeah. Prime Minister. I'm very, I'm very happy uh, to join with my honourable friend in wishing all the very best to the Zephyr team in, in the attempt that they are making. But he's right that his constituency plays a very crucial role in the aerospace uh, industry, and I'm pleased to say that we're continuing to work with that industry through the Aerospace Growth Partnership to ensure that we can further enhance that industry, and we wish the Zephyr team well. Bill Esterson. Mr. Speaker. The UK has the lowest growth in the G7. So why is the government's answer to this? To give handouts to some of the wealthiest bankers to fund an already lavish lifestyle, paid for by taking the crumbs off the table of those on universal credit whose children depend on free school meals. Prime Minister. First of all, the Honourable Gentleman might not have noticed that the wealthiest 1% of people in this country are now paying the biggest share of tax, 28%, than they ever did, than they ever did under a Labour government. But if he's, all, if he's referring to the bank levy, can I also say to him, it was the Conservative Party that introduced the bank levy that has raised £15 billion and is predicted to raise a further £11 billion that we can spend on public services. It is the Conservative Government that is changing the way we do it, so we do it in a better way. So in future, in future we will be raising nearly £19 billion from the extra from the banks over the next five years. That's £3 billion more money from the banks to be spent on public services. Neil Parrish. Great British food is produced by hard-working farming, farming families yeah. in this As we produce a new British agricultural policy, does my right honourable friend agree with me that food, supporting food production in this country is a public good? Yes. Prime Minister. I'm very happy to, uh, to agree with my honourable friend the importance of food production in this country. I'm also happy to uh, commend the work of hard-working farmers up and down the country, but also all those who work in our food production industry. And we now have, as my honourable friend will know, a historic opportunity as we leave the EU to deliver a farming policy that is going to work for the whole industry. Bridget Philipson. Just minutes ago, Facebook announced that they will be taking down several pages associated with the extremist group Britain First. Does the Prime Minister join me in welcoming that? But does she not also accept that there needs to be a clear role provided by government to give guidance to social media companies on how they operate in our democracy? Prime Minister. I certainly welcome that announcement by Facebook, uh, and I'm pleased to say that my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has been working with these companies to ensure that they do do more, they do act more clearly in taking down material that is of an extremist nature. But I'm very pleased to welcome the announcement that Facebook has made, and I hope other companies will follow. Anne Marie Morris. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I first congratulate the Prime Minister on her pioneering work in fighting modern day slavery? However, has she been advised that a central plank of her law enforcement policy isn't working? With 65 prosecutions of traffickers abandoned last year because of victim fear as to their safety and no reparations orders to compensate victims for the ordeals made against convicted traffickers? 
Prime Minister. I my honourable friend for raising what is a very important issue. Uh, in fact, at the uh, meeting that I chaired recently, in uh, a matter of uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, of the Modern Slavery Task Force that I have uh, brought together to bring people from across government, but also from law enforcement, from uh, the uh, judiciary, uh, from, sorry, from criminal justice more generally, uh, and from uh, others to look at how we're working with this. We were addressing exactly this issue of prosecutions and how can we, we can ensure that prosecutions, more prosecutions, go ahead in future and perpetrators are brought to justice. Yeah. Vernon Coker. Shockingly, in this country, in 2017, there were 2,120 children who were identified as being possible uh, potential victims uh, of child slavery. Can the, I know the Prime Minister's personal commitment to tackling this issue, but surely we ought to have more data. We have no idea how many of those children go missing. We have no idea how many are deported, and we have no idea how many are re-trafficked. In this country, in 2018, a modern democracy, that is simply not good enough. Can the Prime Minister tell us what she's going to do about that? The Honourable Gentleman has raised a very important issue, and it has been a, long, a concern for a long time where children are identified as the victims of slavery, the victims of human trafficking, uh, and when sometimes we do see them, sadly, uh, uh, being in a position where they are then able to be taken out by traffickers and uh, resubmitted to the horrible uh, circumstances that that brings to them. We don't return, just on the point that he's making about asylum and deportation, we don't return unaccompanied children who don't qualify for asylum or humanitarian protection unless we can confirm that there are safe and adequate reception programmes and arrangements in place in their home country. And if we can't confirm such arrangements, we grant temporary leave up until the child is 17 and a half. And last October 2017, we confirmed our commitment to roll out independent child trafficking advocates across the country. This is a system that we piloted previously, which will give support to those child victims to ensure that they are given the support they need and that they don't fall back into the hands of traffickers. Lucy Allen. Very much, Many towns and cities across the country, Telford has had some experiences of distressing cases of child sexual exploitation. Mm. The authorities in Telford have now agreed to conduct an independent inquiry to Good. find out what Good. happened Good. and to give victims answers. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating two brave women, campaigner Holly Archer and Sunday Mirror journalist Geraldine McKelvey for their work in bringing this about and will she agree to do everything possible to ensure this inquiry starts without delay and leaves no stone unturned? Prime Minister. I say to my honourable friend, I think we have all been shocked by the horrific case that we have seen in uh, Telford of some of the most vulnerable in our country being preyed upon by ruthless criminals. Sadly, of course, this is not the first example that we have seen uh, taking place across our country. Uh, I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in congratulating Holly and Geraldine for the work that they have done. This is not easy, but it's right that they have brought this to light and that action can be taken. I'm pleased that the authorities are now going to conduct an inquiry. It is, as my honourable friend says, important that it begins its work in order to get to the truth and does that as quickly as possible. And I understand that my honourable friend will be meeting my honourable friend, the Parliamentary Under Secretary for Crime, Safeguarding and Vulnerability, to discuss this issue. Yeah. Joe Platt. Yeah. 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 Shortly after the Prime Minister took office, she said that she wanted to put the government on the side of the poorest in society. 
She even stood in front of a crumbling sign that said she wanted a country that works for everyone. But with the recent IFS report stating that 37% of children are set to live in poverty by 2022, what went wrong, Prime Minister? Prime Minister! We, we have seen 200,000 fewer children living in absolute poverty in this country under this government. We continue to take action to ensure that we are helping, that we are helping families to get a regular income by helping people into work that we're ensuring that the lowest paid in our society get that pay increase through increasing the national living wage and ensuring that we help people with the standard of living by cutting the taxes for 31 million people. Sir David Amos. Is my right honourable friend aware that the inspirational Music Man project in Southend that works with people who have learning difficulties has now set a world record for tinkling the most number of triangles ever? Does my right honourable friend agree with me that that is yet another reason why Southend should be made a city? And will she please now organise a contest with our honourable friend so that Southend on Sea becomes the first post-Brexit city? Prime Minister! My honourable friend, I'm very happy to congratulate the Music Man project in Southend for the record that they have achieved in tinkling triangles. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that my honourable friend has heard his bid for Southend to, uh, to become a city. I have to say to my honourable friend that, of course, there will be a number of members of this House who will be putting forward their own uh, towns for that, uh, for that accolade in due course. I knew a city had to have a cathedral. I didn't know it had to have tinkling triangles, Mr Speaker. <laughs> Sir Vincent Cable. The Prime Minister will be aware that, uh, the Prime Minister will be aware that this week the notorious rapist John Warboys was released from high security prison. Uh, One of my constituents who gave evidence at his trial as a victim wants to know why he was not tested first in open prison conditions and why uh, the parole board is not required to publish the reasoning behind its release decisions, including evidence of contrition. Well, can I, first of all, as the right honourable gentleman, know there is a case before the courts at the moment, and I understand as part of that case the parole board will be required to explain uh, the reasons why they took the decision. But in terms of the overall issue of parole board decisions and transparency of that, when this uh, this decision became clear, my uh, right honourable friend, the then Justice Secretary, uh, now the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, called for uh, work to be done, which has been continued under the current Justice Secretary and Lord Chancellor, to uh, look at this whole question of parole board decisions and the transparency around them. Heidi Allen. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. Thank you. (laughs) I am immensely proud to have the world-leading research and teaching hospital of Addenbrookes in my constituency of South Cambridgeshire. Their scale and excellence means they rely heavily on doctors from overseas, but of late they've struggled to bring some of those doctors in because of restrictions on the Tier 2 visa numbers. And with applications reducing from the EU too, it's becoming a real problem. Please can the Prime Minister reassure me and my hospital that she's aware of this challenge and she has a plan to address it. Prime Minister! uh, My honourable friend, I am aware of that uh, particular issue. Uh, Of course, in the the longer term, one of the things that we are doing is to ensure that we can train more doctors here in uh, in the United Kingdom. But I'm aware of the issue that she has raised and I will look into it. Laura Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, the Prime Minister acknowledged that our social care system is broken and promised to fix it. 
Since then, two care providers in Crewe and Nantwich have been placed into special measures and another is worried that it may have to close due to a lack of funding. What does the Prime Minister say to providers who state the local government settlement doesn't go far enough and that they cannot afford to wait for the government's green paper? Minister. I say to the Honourable Lady that, uh, as she will know, I have always said that there were some short-term measures that needed to be taken in relation to the pressure on social care, medium-term measures and long-term. In the short-term, we have provided more funding for uh, local authorities. Two billion extra uh, was announced by my right honourable friend, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. We are seeing more money going into social care in local authorities. We, in the medium-term, need to ensure that best practice is spread across the whole country. And we also uh, do, as she's referred to the Green Paper, need to ensure that we can develop a long-term sustainable funding model for for social care in this country, and that's what we continue to work on. It is sadly a matter of public record that RBS and HBOS deliberately asset stripped thousands of potentially viable businesses to benefit their own bank or individual bankers. And evidence before the High Court indicates that Lloyds may also be guilty of the same. Would the Prime Minister consider the, the calls of the All Party Group for Fair Business Banking, which has been endorsed? by the Chief Executive of the FCA, Andrew Bailey, for a full public inquiry into this disgraceful scandal. Minister. This is, uh, this is an issue that is of concern to many. Small businesses are the backbone of our economy, and we need to ensure that we do learn the lessons that, uh, from what happened at RBS and HBOS. Um, and as he will know, the FCA has reported areas of widespread inappropriate treatment of firms by RBS who have apologised and set up a, a scheme for compensation for victims. There is an ongoing uh, investigation which is continuing to be conducted by the FCA into RBS and they are also undertaking two separate investigations into HBOS, but we will continue to work with the independent regulator and the industry to ensure that small and medium-sized businesses get the support they need. Catherine West. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Just since Christmas, there have been five high-profile gun crimes in Haringey, including one last Thursday when a 19-year-old young man named Kelvin Odunyi was shot in the head with the marksman a pillion on the back of a moped to the entrance of a cinema in Wood Green. We know our streets are plagued by knife crime. Now the intent to kill with a gun takes the epidemic to a whole new level. This can't go on and it must stop. Will the Prime Minister please meet with me and community leaders to put an end to this epidemic of gun crime? Yes. Prime Minister. I, the Honourable Lady, that the, uh, uh, I suggest that she meets with the Home Secretary, who will shortly be publishing a strategy in, in relation to this issue of uh, serious violence that takes place. We're all concerned uh, about the, 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 the use of mopeds has been known for um, snatching, for effectively mugging, and that's something that my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, had already been work, looking at and working on with the police. But on this issue that she's raised of uh, gun crime, uh, I'm sure my right honourable friend will be happy to meet her. Mr. Peter Bone. Thank you, Mr. Following the question from the right honourable member for Gedling, could I agree entirely with what he said? The, pro the Prime Minister has done more than anyone in this House to end the, sh the terrible modern-day slavery. But we have one problem, sir, and that is the treatment of child victims. They are put in the care of local authorities, and as the honourable member said, they are then re-trafficked. Could we look at having a system like we do for adults, where safe homes are provided? centrally, not by local government, so re-trafficking cannot occur. 
Prime Minister. Yes, well, my honourable friend uh, follows up the uh, right honourable member for Gedling on an important point about these child victims of trafficking. Um, and I will certainly look at the issue that he has raised. Uh, the independent child advocates that I referred to in my response to the right honourable member for Gedling uh, was one way in which we feel we can give a greater support to these child victims to ensure that they, we do not see them uh, being lost to the local authorities and being re-trafficked. Because he's absolutely right, it is a scandal when an, in, an a victim goes into the care of a local authority and then somebody is able to come along and remove them from that care and take them back into, into slavery. Order.